It's Toby Haydock's Who's Round, episode 90. And on our countdown to 100, we'll be covering some people who've made hefty contributions to the show. So, um, well, this is the first time we're multitasking. My guest is signing books, uh, and I've pounced upon him. I've not made a signing noise yet. (laughs) How do you know I'm signing? Well, I'm setting the scene, you see. Uh, We're we're making it... This is the signing noise. Now, listen. Did you hear that? Scribbling like a thief in the night. Uh, So I'm going to ask him to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Well, Doctor Who's been sort of a little part of my rather longer acting life. Um, My name is generally known as John Leeson, and generally I'm sort of only known nowadays as the voice of a robot dog. I know, and yet there's so much more to you, because I worked um, with you on Big Finish, Ah. and uh, we had also... It was fascinating sharing a green room with you, because you are a, a vintner... No, I'm not a vintner. No, you're, no, you're, no. you're a wine ex. You, you incorrect, like wine. Incorrect information. Sorry, no, I'm sorry, canine, shut up. Shut up. Um, I'm, in fact, a wine educator. I'm a member of the Association of Wine Educators. I'm a member of the Circle of Wine Writers. And as the other hat I wear, I uh, conduct courses and teach sort of wine appreciation, generally speaking. Um, It's it's at a reasonably high level, and I go off um, around the world sometimes uh, to wine areas, uh, subsidised trips and things like that, wine study things, which is really hard work, quite honestly. You wouldn't think tasting wine's hard work, but it it can be, I promise you. Um, But, no, number one, I'm an actor always have been an actor, always will be an actor. Um, But when work is not as forthcoming as it might otherwise be, which is the situation with many, many actors, um, I was sort of encouraged to think of something else that I could do. So my wife very generously funded my training at the Wine and Spirit Education Trust here in London. And I did their course, their diploma course, and I've got certificates to put up in the loo. <laughs> um, so there we are. And uh, so if, if John Leeson now, that the educated wine buff, was to be presented with a, 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 a mid-range bottle of wine that uh, he would recommend to impress friends with... Well, uh, well, there are horses for courses, and don't forget everybody has their own particular... Uh, penchant for wine, their own particular taste in wine, but there's some super stuff coming out of the south of France, coming out of Languedoc and Roussillon these days. Um, I'm very fond, particularly, of a wine from an appellation called Saint-Chinien. That's Saint, C-H-I-N-I-A-N, Saint-Chinien. Um, it's a standard um, southern French mix, Grenache, uh, Carignan, um, stuff like that, perhaps a little Syrah. But it is the most gorgeous 
and relatively inexpensive red wine to have from barbecues to fine meats and things like that. That's straight from the dog's mouth. It is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, we're sitting here in front of a pile of uh, tweaking the tail, the an autobiography of John Leeson. So, yes. what what was it like? I mean, how is your recall? Did you have to dredge stuff back, or did it flow well, fairly easily? Well, it flowed fairly easily. Um, <laughs> my life's been all over the place, quite honestly. Um, which you will find if you buy this book at £16.99 from Phantom Films. Um, so I've, I've done all sorts of extraordinary things. Born under Pisces, of course, the fish symbols swim in two separate directions. Ah. And so I think in my life I've been swimming in against the tide or with the tide or whatever, you know, and it, it, I, I go where the tide flows and it's taken me to all, some, all, all sorts of places. Well including and of course I grew up knowing you from Doctor Who uh, but of course I, I remember tuning in and then I watched it every week to see you uh, having to improvise on Beatles About ah. which I don't know if anyone ever asks you about that but... <laughs> No, 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 no. Well I was kept fairly low profile. I think all the agent provocateur all the, uh, the Stuart Bevan did a few as well. Yes, Another indeed, he did indeed. And Tony McHale, who's Tony the Mc... producer of Holby City. Is he really? Yeah, of or course chief he story is. editor. Yes, of he's Holby chief City. story editor. Absolutely so. Um, yes, we, <laughs> we 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 were particularly naughty. It was great fun um, because we were kept at a very low profile. The idea, of course, was based on the original um, candid camera. Candid camera. Absolutely. And families used to sort of set up one of the, the members of the family to be duped spectacularly in vision. The very first one I did, I remember, I was a representative of a bus company. The little story behind this is that the, the lady who'd been set up complained bitterly for weeks that people were getting off at a rusty old flagpole at the bottom of her garden, assuming it was a bus stop. She was livid about it. She wanted to write to the council about it. And so her family decided, well, why don't um, Game for a Laugh or Beadles About give her a really first-rate bus shelter to put at the bottom of her garden? And so they did. Daughter takes mother away shopping and secretes a microphone in mum's shopping bag. And as they're driving back, we pick up the scene. Here's mum seeing over the hill a great JCB digger loading a massive great bus shelter at the bottom of their garden. Is she pleased? The answer is no, because the language has to be bleeped out pretty well continuously till the car reaches home. She rushes indoors, fetches her husband out, who is, of course, complicit in, in the scam. Husband thinks there's nothing wrong, so she's even more cross. And then, at a certain moment, the representative from the bus company comes, that's me, to have her sign for this bus shelter and apologise profusely 
that she should have had it six months ago. And she, we're ever so sorry it's so late, but it is a permanent fixture. It is, <laughs> it is ever so good. You know, it's rot-proof, and you wouldn't want people getting wet at the bottom of your garden. It was pouring with rain, would you? you know? But now, the lady was just about to ignite my shirt with her fury. She was breathing fire at me. And then, of course, Jeremy Beadle comes along and explains that it's all a big hoax. Does she recognise Jeremy Beadle? No! She's, she's <laughs> totally... I mean, she, she, she's gone into the, into the ether with rage. And it takes lots of cups of tea and quiet sitting downs in, in their front room and patting and stroking. And, and finally, she realises how much she has been had. But... The end of the story is this, that anybody in that sort of situation, uh, or hardly anybody in that sort of situation, refuses to sign a release document. They want to see, they want to see themselves having been had mm. on television and come back to the studios and, and, and be sort of patted and stroked by Jeremy Beadle, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> But she did she did she sign? Oh yes, yeah, oh yes, she, she was yeah, happy oh to, yes, she did. So. No, we did some amazing scams across uh, but, the time. But as an as an actor, then I mean, there's one thing having to improvise, which mm. some actors don't like doing at all, and another thing to improvise not with a professional, but with a potentially volatile. Sure, I think uh, from an actor's point of view. Now, I was terrible at improvisation at RADA. Um, one of the things I really hated was it was improvising. But here we've got a real situation. I am the man from the bus company, say, in this particular scam. I must play my line. I am tasked to do this particular thing, and this is the object I want to achieve, have her sign for her bus shelter, because it's a generous offer we've made to her. She's not having to pay for this bus shelter. It's down to us to pay for it, you know. And you just play your line to the end of the, the end of the world. Uh, and eventually, I mean, also later on um, in the series, when the public got a bit wise to this, they'd think, uh, "Hello, where's the hidden camera then?" You know. And I'd simply say, "What? What are you talking about?" You know. And I, I, I try and wrong foot them and say, well, you know, I'm being perfectly serious here. What, what are you on about? You know, I've got a job to do and you are in the wrong. I am in the right. You know, so... <laughs> but fun to do. Great fun to do. And a wonderful acting exercise. Sure. Really wonderful acting exercise. So there you go. Well, it's a good job we didn't scam any Doctor Who fans. And um, one of the obviously, I've I've got various stories I want to nobble off quickly whilst getting. Well, I'm more interested in the real John Neeson. Uh, but um, I, I do have this task where I'm trying to get an anecdote from every story. Underworld, poor old Underworld. Uh, tell me about Norman Stewart because he seems to have been, always got lumbered with the really difficult stories, and, yes. he, and he stopped directing and went back to being a production manager. Yes. Well, after Underworld, who can blame him? Absolutely. <laughs> well, and then Power of no. Prole as well. Indeed. Yes. Absolutely. Um, Underworld was, as far as I realise, as far as I know, um, the victim of a cost implication with a design. The design budget went out. And at the end of the day, they had enough money to make a 
fixed model of this set, which was of underground tunnels beneath this city, as I recall it. Now, various cameras in the studio, big studio, small corner, two cameras looking at this tiny little model. Meanwhile, the rest of the studio is coated in CSO blue. The floor, the walls, everything is a sea of blue. No markings, nowhere to go, and the actors who were supposed to be running down these tunnels had to run in a certain direction that was completely unmarked, and it had to match the tunnels that were being shot by the fixed cameras. So actors were running into walls, running you know, past doors they ought to have gone through, and Lord knows what else. It took ages and ages and, and ages. to give a performance on this. You, you can't. I mean, you're technically thinking, am I getting from A to B correctly without having to be called back to do it again? And what was it, did you socialise much? Because look, you look back at that time, certainly now that I'm more grown up, and you realise that you know Tom Baker, like going grown to. The, I am now. Are yes, you, I'm a little know. bit grown. Yes, <laughs> I'm a, my, my salad days are, are just wilting a little. Um, and you know, I know now that Tom Baker was a big personality. You like going to the pub and with some, something like Underworld, you've got Alan Lake as well, oh, who, really who, who I guess was no was no shrinking violet. So no. I mean, were the times after the show, were you all a sort of big team who went out and. Uh, Sort of socialised. I, I don't remember that we did because we were working very um, intensively. Um, no, we we weren't particularly matey, as, as I recall, at the end of the end of a studio day. Certainly, because we were knackered. Mm. You know, it was hard work, and we got another studio day to think of to, to follow that. Maybe um, I do remember a lovely occasion when. Um, Tom had been in the studios and uh, there'd been a school's visit to Television Centre and the uh, schools came to see Doctor Who studios in operation and as Tom left after a really heavy day he was crossing Wood Lane just, off, just by the studios and he heard another little voice behind him saying excuse me, excuse me, excuse me and Tom turned round and said, no more autographs, no, no, no. Because he was very good with his PR, very generous with his PR, and his, his autographing and things, but he'd done a lot. And this little voice kept on saying, excuse me, excuse me. And Tom said, what is it you want? Uh, well, um, I'm a bit lost. Can you tell me how to get a shepherd's bush green? <laughs> And I think Tom was so relieved, he probably conducted himself there in person. <laughs> and I'm also trying to think on the ones that you weren't on the DVDs for, but um, you've done quite a few. Um, uh, are you on the DVD for the Pirate Planet? I think you probably are, because you fight possibly. the Polyphase Avatar. Oh, indeed. Oh, the Polyphase Avatar. Your arch nemesis. My arch nemesis. Oh, wonderful thing. What a wonderful name for a, a bird like that, Polyphase Avatar. He has had wonderful fights with a parrot. Everybody loves Pennant Roberts, it seems, that works with him. Yes. Oh, Pennant was heaven to work with. A very, very sensitive director as well. Um, he, had, he, he really knew what actors were all about, uh, which is why I think we loved him so much. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
he, he, I mean, some would say, some would say sometimes an actor's director that a lot of often the, the directors that the actors love working with. Sometimes the stuff on screen isn't perhaps as dynamic as it might be. And sometimes the, the well, it, well, don't forget horses for courses, uh, and it all stems from the writing originally. Obviously, um, if you've got a script that is um, relatively laid back, then the director's got a hard task mm-hmm. to, to to ginger it up. Um, well, with Pirate Planet, did you know you'd got something on your hands that was because Douglas Adams obviously yeah. went uh, on to be Douglas editing. Adams. Yeah, sure. Um, Douglas Adams was was an amazing script editor, and, and what he brought to um, Doctor Who at that time, I think, was invaluable. Absolutely, because it had that surreal edge as well, which he, of course, was famous for elsewhere, as we mm. all know. Yeah. Well, straight after that, you had the Stones of Blood, which oh, is, yes. I think, a favourite of everyone that seemed to work yes. on. Yes. And didn't Beatrix Lehman take a shine to you? Well, we got on very well. Beatrix and, and I, she rather liked things. Because I, I was always taken off on location. Uh, not that I was going to be putting any of K9's lines in on location, but sort of just as a guide track or something like that. But one of the other hats I'd worn as a young actor to make a little bit of money was taking photographs, taking headshots of other actors. And I'd got my camera with me, and I took some headshots of Beatrix. Uh, in fact, in the book Tweaking the Tale, you will probably see a headshot of Beatrix Lehman. She's $16.99 for Phantom Films. <laughs> and there, there, she, it is. there she is. There's Beatrix Lehman. And you took that photo. And I took that photo. But um, we were back in rehearsals after our uh, little um, lo- location exercise. And she came in one morning with what looked like a bag of, well, from a greengrocer's, and said, dear, this is for you. I want you to have this. Said, well, oh, thank you. Is it bananas for my lunch or what? Whatever. And inside was a, nine, a mid-1930s Leica camera in its own leather case, a camera which... We believe, Tom and I, that she had been given by an old flame, possibly someone like Rafe Richardson, I don't know, way back when they were um, interested in each other. (laughs) (laughs) But I now, I've passed it on to my son, who is a, a film editor and very good photographer and writer, and he has custody of it and has taken some amazing shots with it. Well, then, um, I, I think her desire was because you give something like that to somebody you know who will treasure it and yeah, look after it. Sure. So she gave it to the right person. Jack. She did, she did. <laughs> and I get the story nobody ever asks you about because I suppose it was such a, a, a crowded one, so it's, I think it's quite good to get your view on it, was uh, The Five Doctors, which you were on very briefly. Ah, oh, yes, I was stopped at the garden gate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. So um, did you turn up to location for that? I turned up to location for that... Um, and then was sent home. <laughs> so I know very much, very, uh, very, very little about the five doctors. Um, because there's Liz Sladen telling me I can't come out to play. Yes. Basically, as, as but K-9. nice to be involved, oh, even very, if yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, historically, it's part of the, it's, 
oh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have been win. Funny enough, last week I was interviewing Gillian Martell, oh, who's yeah. in Canine and Company, who was yeah. full of lovely. Couldn't speak highly, more highly of you if she tried. Oh, she, so she, 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 uh, she's another so one who thought they should have got rid of the dog and had you instead. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, you didn't have to do that, did you? You didn't have to rehearse in the way that you did. No, I didn't. You could have just come and dubbed it on I afterwards. could have done, absolutely, but the, the idea of, of actually being canine, because I was booked as an actor, not as a voiceover artist. Uh, I am an actor, heavens above. Um, so I decided to be canine, which amused Tom. But what it actually did was to create a dynamic between us um, that had legs. It, had, it, it, it worked. We had a relationship. Now, had I phoned in in post-production from the sidelines, it would never have worked at all, and K-9 would obviously no longer be around, I dare say. There would be no dynamic. No dynamic. Um, but the, the other thing that, of course, was useful um, in that, that particular occasion when the physical module of K-9 hadn't yet been finished and we were just sort of left in rehearsals with either a, a pram to be pushed around the place, being canine, or me. I thought I'd be better choice. Um, so I ran around where canine was supposed to be going so the other actors could see where he was supposed to be going, um, and in my, using my squeaky voice. And when it came to the studios, of course, I was banished right to the far end of the studio with a clean mic feed up to the gallery and... I could barely hear what was going on on the main floor of the, of the studio, and they could barely hear what I was saying. But at least the relationship had been established, and the timing had been established as well. I mean, the, uh, I can't remember the, the story where Canine plays chess with the Doctor. But it's if you the actually, sun, is it the Sunmakers? It could be the Sunmakers. It could well be the Sunmakers. But if you actually look at that, um, the speed of the dialogue. It's absolutely formidable. It's amazing. Uh, and that couldn't have been achieved simply by in, in post-production, simply add, um, adding my voice in from the, from the outside. And now this is... I don't know why this is... Because you, he rocks the TARDIS, doesn't it? And it goes flying. Um, yes, that's right. He cheats. Just, he cheats. <laughs> he cheats. <laughs> he cheats. Um, um, and uh, you can't... Uh, well, oh, and of course, in Power of Crow, Canine is not in it. And it's it's no. you having to sit in a room doing some quite interminable dialogue scenes with some very good actors. Yes. Um, including <laughs> Philip Maddock, who's in not di- oh. playing the part he expected to play. No. Well, neither was I playing the part I expected to play. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think they yeah. booked Alan Browning and then he fell ill. Oh, right. And I think they tried Martin Jarvis and then he couldn't do it. Yeah. And then they yeah. went, well, you've, we've got you under contract. Yeah. Yes, I was in the building, so... So you wouldn't have got anything extra <laughs> no, for doing it? No, nope, absolutely not. But it's a wonderful, yeah. glowering performance from Philip Maddock. Oh, what an actor. And it's not wow. a very good part. It's not no. a part... They were lucky to get, no, I think, were. both of you for both of those parts. Absolutely. Because it's a lot of exposition. Yes. But between yeah. you, you managed yeah. to sort of... Muddle through. Yeah. I mean, was he yes. happy doing it? I don't know. We'd have to ask his soul. Yeah, but he's, he's a wonderful presence, <laughs> oh, isn't he? Tremendous, tremendous. And, and, but, but, I mean, and, and also so versatile, because if you think of him back in the, in the Dad's Army days, I mean, the, his gift for comedy timing mm. was just magical. 
and yet you've got this great brooding, glowering Welsh um, Demerara sugar voice coming out. <laughs> it's a fantastic actor. And so when Doctor Who came back, I remember reading a story in The Sun saying, after the first year, oh, Sarah Jane and K-9 are coming back. And I just went, that's absolute nonsense. That's the press doing silly season. Yeah, the Daleks yeah. have come yeah. back. The yeah. Sidemen are coming back. What's next? They've yeah. just... And there you were. And I thought, that's not going to work because I'm nostalgic and I love old Doctor Who. Yeah. It's not going to fit in with new yeah. Doctor Who. And that episode made me cry. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um, but did you, were you on set for that or did you just dub, dub in the end? I, I did actually um, go and visit um, Wales... I went across the uh, the bridge and um, visited Wales and and sort of put a little guide track on so timings and things were right. But um, I think... Th- uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I'm thinking of something else. Let me get my story straight here. Um, yes, right. I knew it was coming back. I knew K-9 was going to return. And I knew Liz Sladen was involved. And I used to live, well, half a mile away from Liz in Ealing, and we used to meet each other regularly in the village street, virtually. And I phoned her up and I said, Liz, this is wonderful. What are your studio dates? Because I'm sure we'll, we'll get together again and we'll, we'll, we'll do this, this story, school reunion or whatever. And um, she told me her dates, and her dates came and went. The BBC was silent as far as I was concerned. Nobody wanted to know me at all. Um, Very strange, very strange. And then about a fortnight later, uh, I get an emergency call from Julie Gardner, who was one of the associate producers, John, we've finished that story. That's great. Um, Now we need you to put a voice on. So would you go into a little dubbing theatre and and do it? So I said, yes, OK. So I missed all the society of of actually... Well, that's modern television. It's modern, absolutely. I I mean, I have to say, even not doing a voice... Yeah. I did a telly the other day, yeah. Yeah. and you don't re- you don't do get a week's rehearsal. You don't you yeah. meet the cast on the day. You yeah. do your scenes, yep. and you go away. And you go away again. Yeah. So DVD commentaries in fifty years' time are going to be because I say, what was that actor like? Um, he was I haven't a clue. Nice. Yeah, he, he said hello. <laughs> yes. and then we did the scene, and then I went away. That's again. right. Yes, uh, indeed. Well, I've, look, I've exceeded my time. So I just, but I do yeah. want to. I, yeah. You're a magistrate, John. Yes, I've just retired from being a magistrate by reason of age. I am still a magistrate till the day I die, the justice of the peace, but I'm not an active magistrate, so I can do all. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the danger of being uh, 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 you know, an icon, which is, you are, is that even though you're the voice, Doctor Who fans being Doctor Who fans, is yeah. they know the face to the voice. So yeah. well, is there never a conflict of interests where you suddenly find that somebody's staring at you go, well, I'm going to have been drink driving, but that's canine. <laughs> <you know."> no. <laughs> no, fortunately. And, of course, uh, I am a magistrate in my own name rather than John Leeson, so uh, that gives a degree of anonymity in, in, in any case. An extra degree of separation. Yes. And one thing people won't know, and as I say, the reason, because I have, I've steered clear of companions and regulars for this because yeah. I've decided to make my task more difficult, but that, those days we spent in the green room, I found so much about you, and when people say, well, what's John Leeson? I say, he's the most interesting man from Doctor Who ever, that I've ever met, <laughs> because, because uh, you were telling me you are an expert in period desserts. 
or you've made period desserts for television oh, programmes. Yes. Well, I, how, do, how do you I become cook. an expert in period desserts? <laughs> I cook. You see, I'm I'm the domestic cook at home, and my wife is delighted about this. I've always been interested in food, and in fact, um, Phantom Films are actually eventually publishing. Uh, a collection of recipes that I've made across the years called, I'm sorry, wait for it, Dog's Dinners. <laughs> uh, sorry, it has to be. Um, but that's coming out later this year, so we shall, we shall enjoy that. Yes, no, um, my wife is a props buyer for film and television, and she'd got me doing period food for her, for things like Foil's War and, and various other sort of costume dramas and things. So, um, yes, I'm interested in all sorts of things, swimming in all directions at all, all times. And that's what makes you such fascinating company. But I've, I've exceeded my time, so I'm just going to ask you the final two questions, which yep. are one, which is, what is your charity, John, because you've kindly right. given me your time? The charity is called Calibre Library. And Calibre Library is basically an outfit that... Uh, provides uh, tapes, discs, whatever, for uh, people who have sight problems, blind, uh, either fully blind or... I think... I'm just trying to think of the expression. What is it they call it? Print-disabled people is the expression I think they use. And so for, for many years I've read books cover to cover for them... I don't do this anymore, uh, but I have done it in the past. And they're a smashing charity to, to, um, to support. Yep. And the final question is, we are convening here, and the whole raison d'etre of this podcast is because Doctor Who is 50 years old this year. You've encountered a great many of them. What is your message to the Doctor Who fans who've stuck it out for 50 years? Enjoy Peter Capaldi. I think we will. John Eason, thank you very much. Bless you. Love. I hope that was okay. My thanks to John. His charity is Caliber Audio Library, which is www.caliber, which is C A L I B R E America, C A L I B R E dot org dot UK. John actually wasn't the first companion. Actor, I inter- did a full-length interview with. I had a quick chat with Nicola Bryan, but my first full-length one was the next Who's Round. Oh, why have I mixed them up? Was there a special clever... No, I just forgot. Um, so that's the next edition, which will feature the gentleman whose voice you're going to recognise instantly from this preview, and then you will therefore know that uh, there's a lot of fun to be had. Until next time, Craig Antoir. Because there's nothing worse than turning up on the first day of rehearsals, as you would know, Toby, and everybody's in a little cliques and stuff, and you go onto the set and nobody talks to you. I've always thought, no, always welcome people, because the more relaxed they are, the more relaxed they're going to be in that tape with you. So you're not going to take ten takes, because they're scared and frozen. soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, the English way of death.
Just the hero fussing, I expect. I'll turn it off. What the place is? Is that that closed chair? Sir, the, the, the noise hurts. Stay down, man. What was that? Nothing important. According to these readings, that's a transmission on a spatio-temporal frequency. No interesting. Nobody in this time period can have receivers operating on extratemporaneous wavelengths. What? What's happening? I'm terribly sorry, young lady. I very nearly ran into you. <laughs> I fell into the road. I blame the local seismic activity. Mr. Stackhouse, construction of the first project proceeds satisfactorily. And the second? Work on the cerebral links continue. More nourishment is needed. Miss Alostro? Yeah. Take a look through this on the picture page. There must be no errors. He appears rather distinctive, especially if he wears that hat. There you are, Percy, you naughty boy. No, this is against the rules, Harriet. I'll have to destroy it. One fiddling flying box. June 1930, southern England. Minor tremor noted at 1747 hours today. It must have been caused by somebody or something alien to this time continuum. What the hell? You... You're coming with me. Keep back. I don't want to have to kill you. Well, then, don't. You have completed your examination. But you can't be serious. You can't want it to actually destroy the world. Big finish. We love stories. <laughs> <laughs>